Coming up tonight, we take a look at the latest episode of Severance. After that, we'll look at Apple TV's new show, Slow Horses. And then we're going to do a comprehensive book versus movie review for Starship Troopers and conclude with our thoughts on the latest Strange New Worlds trailer. All this coming up right now. back i'm glad to be here happy thursday or as they say in the old times thursday because uh, we're all thunder gods here sure hi everybody i'm uh, corion uh, youtube's completely unofficial witch in residence uh I've been graciously invited to to be the unofficial, completely uh, third brother to the Brothers Podcast, and I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, so we'll jump right into Severance here. Uh, for those of you watching right now, if you didn't hear PD York's audio, that's now uh, they can. understandable. <laughs> now they can. Awesome. I hit a wrong button. All right, no let's worries. try this from the top once again. Okay, now you should be able to hear me this time. My name's Petey York, I'm your host. I'm joined by co-host John, a.k.a. Polya Zapatos, as well as Corion, who currently can't be visible just due to some minor technical issues. Still figuring out how to work this stuff. But in the meantime, as we said, we're going to discuss Severance. So if you all want to go ahead and start on the latest discussion, I'll get your pretty faces back up on the screen, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Karen, do you want to open this up uh, as far as your thoughts on episode 8? Yeah, so, I mean, we can start by... So, um, you know, we, we got to... We started, I believe, on um, Irving's, uh, you know, Irving's apartment. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, we got a little bit of background for, for Irving there. Um, we had, uh, Mark for a final wellness session with Miss Casey. Um, so yeah, um, you know, uh, Mark and Miss Casey have, uh, failed to remember each other as husband and wife. Uh, let's see. She then orders Miss Casey to be sent back down to the testing floor, uh, whose entrance is shown to be the same corridor as in Irving's paintings. Um, meanwhile, MDR celebrates quota. Um, Cobell is fired by the board for withholding knowledge of, uh, Heli's suicide attempt. 
Um, the MDR team prepares for Dylan to remotely awaken them on the, the outside. Haley kisses Mark before departing. Mark's um, Audi attends Rickon's book party and tells uh, Cobell as uh, Miss uh, Savig that uh, he plans to quit uh, Lumon. Uh, Corbell herself feeling betrayed by the company encourages him to do so. Uh, Dylan receives a waffle party as, resort, uh, as a reward for meeting Kova, uh, Quota, uh, in which uh, he dons a, uh, a kind of a weird head there, sitting with a, a replica of uh, Kara's bedroom uh, in perpetuity, uh, like in the perpetuity wing, while, um, you know, while the dances are, you know, while there's all kinds of weird dancing in front of him. Um, Let's see, Dylan uh, leaves midway uh, to access the security office and activates the overtime contingency to awaken Mark, uh, Irving, and Helly's innies in the outside world. So, a lot of stuff happened here. Um, as I expected, we were going to see innies on the outside world, um, you know, a, a fair bit uh, now. Um I don't know. I have a feeling that what we're seeing here in more than a little bit is we're starting to see um kind of the 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 f- what isn't working for the uh like what's not going to work and like the dangers of the severance side of things because clearly you know although i'm not entirely sure because i i i'll be honest i had a little bit of difficulty following all the nuances of this episode but yeah same it, it seems like you did a great overview um, though, i'll give you that yeah that was top notch that pretty much just summarized the entire episode all right moving on uh no i'm just kidding yeah keep going though You're no doing um fantastic. i was gonna say um this is why I, we I bring you back the, the whole oh thank you um the whole miss corbell thing i i think there's I think there's way more going on with her than than we know. Like that she's been some sort of prototype monitor or what have you, and somehow it's screwing up, and that's why she's going, you know, downstairs, if you will. Um, I feel like they're going to wind up reprogramming her or making some sort of arrangement alterations to her, which was another thing I suggested that they might wind up doing is is resetting somebody. So I feel like that that may be our our target of that so i feel like some things were kind of confirmed but in ways i didn't expect yeah i agree it seems like there were a lot of our theories being confirmed in terms of the big bad is showing up the or the great conflict of the the season but at the same time how that conflict is gonna go feels even more unknown even though we know we're right at the part where it feels like it's gonna start like the way that the episode ended with uh miss cobell telling mark to get out right as he's about to be turned back to his innie really felt like it was gonna do something like, it feels like he's going to mess everything up because is Miss Cobell going to side with them knowing that he changed? Or is he going to be continuously afraid of her? Like, is he actually going to cause 
Is this all gonna change all the plans? And is that, is somebody else orchestrating this? Because it, it really felt like the invitation to Miss Cobell may have messed up all of their plans, but then Miss Cobell's opinion of the company is now similar to their innies. And so what I wanna know is like, is there a mastermind setting this up to confuse everybody and thus you know restart the program so it felt very open-ended even though we are still like pulling into the end mm -hmm. and, yeah, and i don't and know i still stand by my statement that we've got a mole in there somewhere and that's who's actually pulling the strings yeah i agree with that statement a ton now more than ever because it feels like they're being moved and manipulated without any like i feel like the mole isn't somebody we've met or it is somebody we've only met in passing throughout the series i don't think it's one of the four anymore yeah Here. i found sorry the ending... you were saying? oh sorry i found the i found the ending like i knew the, the way that would like the pacing kind of slowed down about halfway through the episode and i was like I, he's gonna like flip them on and then credits are gonna roll and sure enough that's what we got <laughs> which was like yeah go figure um i honestly i i thought that the we're we're gonna get a satisfying ending um i'm de this show has been brilliant from episode one on uh, there's definitely a lot of weird implications with uh, who this Kier guy is, and it, it, it's it's there, there's a lot telling in Patricia Arquette's character just losing her her losing everything over it. This obviously was a huge betrayal, so it is interesting to see is she going to utilize the fact that Mark is about to come back to consciousness or back to switch back to his any. And is, yeah, is she going to help him or is she going to go against him? And that's like, based off of the outburst, you kind of lean more towards, oh, well, she's probably going to, you know, going to turn on the company and, and, and go with, go not work against them. Right. Or maybe that's just, you know, typical red herring type of writing where it's like, oh yeah, it looks like she's going to get a redemption arc. Right. And then like at the last second, no, she's going to turn on him. I don't know. I... I like that this show kind of has followed our theories, but it's also really done a good job of just being its own sort of show. And it's it's definitely thrown some twists that I, I didn't think we were going to start. Not only was we were going to start with Irving, but why is Irving painting that hallway? Like, that just created a whole new mess of questions. John, it looks like you got a thought there. Yeah, that kind of... Like, Irving's role seems different. Uh, especially now, with all of that being said, it feels like Irving Paint is the one painting all of these paintings, which means he's a much larger asset to the entire, the entire mission of the company, whatever it may be. Uh, the fact that the paintings are both done by Irving and then found by Irving and searched by Irving. Why is he, why is his memory kind of bleeding, but very, like very clearly he feels like it's more of like a creative thing. 
Like well, he, it's a, his muse is talking to him. Yeah, and I think I think there's a big a big detail that they just kind of like they didn't. It's it's almost like they kind of intentionally glossed over it, where she's watching the end result of of Mark and his supposedly dead wife interact, and she's convinced that oh they forgot each other, they didn't even recognize each other. Yet, um, the the counselor lady. Uh, Mark's Mark's dead wife actually says something along the lines of she's like I was the happiest when I was with you guys and then she goes off on oh it's because we spent eight hours together oh but my first thought when she said that was like yeah because you subconsciously know who that is something in your mind even though it's been cut has has some pull like your body your your body's mind so to speak the subconscious knows that you're in the presence of somebody that you trust and so it's like that that was the implication i got from it was oh she's she knows but she just doesn't know and he knows but he just doesn't know either and of course he's distracted by heli as well so it's it's gonna be an interesting resolution to to this episode and I don't know. What do you guys think for a season finale? Like, are we going to get a cliffhanger ending? I think we're probably going to get, I would say, like a 25% of a resolution. Like, we're going to get enough information now to understand at least a little bit of the score. But then, yeah, we're going to 100% be left in a situation where, um, you know, the the project is failed and they've decided to re-sever the entire department or something along those lines and basically do a memory wipe of the the innies to in order to get them back on task and i feel like that's why irving is going to be super important because somehow the impressions that he's been getting through this are bleeding through so he's going to be the the key to them getting back on track to solving the the greater issues of what's going on at this company. I definitely don't feel like we're going to be left completely in the dark. Like, you know, the, it gets right to the big fight and then it goes to credits and says come back for season two. But I'm getting more of the feeling that it is going to lean more towards opening the room so like we've got the macrodot team we know them but i think what we're about to see is everybody gets reshifted and they all have new roles in the company so as to because like i get the feeling that the macrodot team is the most likely to continuously up like revolt based off of like the photos that we've seen, based off of the story and the lore we keep hearing about. And the fact that the therapist was once a part of the Macrodot team. And now she's not, but she remembers, but they don't seem to ever discuss it. Like the rest of the team doesn't really seem to remember her being a part of the team. And that feels like, like, that's kind of tying to how we're going to build season two is that, like, I feel like it's going to end with another resever, but we're going to get more Irvings. Like, how many times has Irving been resevered, and that's why his brain is melting? That's the kind of thing I'm starting to think we're leading towards. 
I wonder how much of this show has been talking about the season two conflict without telling us it's talking about that. That's a very good point, and I, uh, I don't know, and it, <laughs> ah, there's so many implications that, that still, we, this show could go anyway, any, any kind of direction. Oh, I forgot my stage light. Um, I think that, I think, and this is just my prediction, is the last, you know, however it goes down, somehow I think the last scene of the movie, or the, the movie, the show is going to end with Mark waking up on the table, and and then it's, that's that's going to be it. He's been he's been reset, and and then that's that's going to be your your hook for season two. Is is here it is. You know they 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 won right? Wrong. They only thought they won, and and I think that's probably going to be one of the big draws. But I don't know. This show has done a really good job. Of just kind of not like necessarily going against what we theorize, but kind of kind of like yeah, you guys are kind of on the right track, but you're also not, and that's really what I think makes it a great story. Is it's not going out of its way to subvert expectations, but it's like the only the only correspondence we've had regarding the goats since is just that oh maybe it's the goats that lay the eggs. Nobody's there's been no more implication as to why that guy was there, what his purpose is. It, it's, it was just like, kind of like, yeah, that was weird. Moving on. So that might come back. I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I absolutely, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love the fact that this isn't subverting our expectations. It's playing to them, but also keeping it interesting by not being predictable. Yeah. It, it's skirting that very, very fine line of I'm keeping you interested by being sort of what you thought it was, but just enough outside of it that you're still guessing at it. And I think that's fantastic. That is quality writing. Yeah, I really agree. I honestly, the way I'm starting to really feel about this show is a lot along the lines of Game of Thrones in the earlier seasons where you would watch it one time through and you'd be like, okay, I think I understand the whole story and what's coming in the next couple of seasons. But every time you would watch a new season or new episodes, all of your theories would either be close or completely unfounded. And then the season later, they would come back and it's like, no, they're founded, just completely delayed. And that's what I feel like this show really focused on. It's like, we're going to tell you the whole series in season one without giving anything away so like our like the fact that we all kind of felt like this could be mystery box writing for like five episodes tells me how much they put an effort into not letting you know what they're doing even as they're doing it like we watched the whole season uh, like we have been we've watching the whole season and we keep feeling nowhere near as close as we were but also nowhere like it 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 keeps building on its questions the questions keep coming and they keep getting more in depth like i care more and more about this world even though i feel like i understand it almost a hundred percent less than when we started yeah absolutely it's uh 
the show continues to amaze me and and like i said so curio and you have any specific you've been pretty good and and some of your predictions have uh, have been fulfilled so to speak do you have any any more uh, ideas for what the uh, season finale is going to hold for us well i do think that we're going to have to deal with the budding relationship that we've got kind of going here between mark and hallie and mark's ex-wife i i want to say not necessarily um you know in existence right i I feel like we're gonna have some sort of you know relationship triangle moment where he's gonna realize that oh no his wife is alive but there's also heli here that he's starting this relationship with so i think that's gonna come to a head at some point and i think that's gonna be a great moment um you know, I, I, and it really does beg some interesting questions when you've got multiple people living in the same body. Like, what happens with relationships? If you were to, say, have an office romance, your innie's having an office romance while your Audi is married, like, that's a weird scenario to be in, right? But it's another great example of the writing playing with those ideas of what is and isn't possible in these sort of scenarios. So I definitely think we're building to a little bit of a relationship triangle moment. Um, for those who have watched uh, Babylon 5, one of the, the main characters, um, it, it's a major plot point in the first season, that his wife had, had died on a on, uh, mission to an alien planet to look at artifacts. And when he just starts getting in good with... Um, his main love affair for the series, she comes back seemingly from the dead to try to recruit him to the bad guy's position of how things go. And I feel like that's a very real possibility that we're going to get something very similar to that here. Yeah. So that's my, my, my main prediction. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of implications that have since, uh, come up because of the difference of relationships i was kind of like sort of expecting uh what i was kind of when i was watching irving's bit i was like part of me was going oh i wonder either one of two things either it's gonna turn out that he and christopher walkett's character are either together or like they're friends and maybe they would have even gone so far as as to as to if they really wanted to get creative with it they could have had uh irving turn out to have a wife and then that would have thrown a whole nother but that probably would have been too much of a concept to explore like you know your guinea brain being one way and then you know maybe a little bit too much of a concept worth worth exploring but i was i was like i wonder if they're gonna like really play with this and they did with the paintings that in of itself has a lot of crazy implications about what how where is he getting if he's never seen this hallway where has he seen it before because that's not his way to work that we you know he, he rides the same elevator that everyone else does so why has he seen that how does he know that that exists so any final uh, any final thoughts with severance before we move on to our next uh, our next segment is cobell gonna use they're waking up as her key back into the castle (laughs) that's like you brought it up in terms of redemption arc like is she going to redeem herself but according to who like the people that were severed supposedly were completely willing and the innies are starting to be unwilling but that's also just due to workplace abuse 
more than it is to like like they're not they're not exactly revolting against the entire system they're revolting against the fact that they feel like children in a mousetrap and i wonder where that's like i wonder how much that fight actually drives to an actual like revolt versus a pseudo union that gets quote like squashed it's really hard to decide if this this is going to be like the beginning of the downfall of the company or an explanation as to why the company is so successful or it can even be even further you know to break more walls and barriers so to speak there's the implication that the that that Patricia Arquette's character is the actual experiment that the board is doing the entire time and that everyone else doesn't really actually have a part to play they're just trying to see what they can get away with with her in that so i i mean it could go either way carryon any final thoughts yeah just maybe one um and that's the potential that cobell might actually be um you I, I think you might be onto something with Cobell using this whole scenario to to get ahead uh, instead of being redeemed at least in in the audience's eyes but to, to really more wrestle control and I feel like what I would like to see I don't know if this is gonna happen but what I'd like to see is Cobell you know manages to get into the get get to the secret find out the secret as to why all this is going on and suddenly realize how vitally important it actually is and then suddenly flip sides and become very much a corporate you know the the pro corporate person in the group and try to get everybody back on on mission i think that would be a very fascinating way to do it like the truth of the situation is so horrifying and so these people are so needed to be doing this oh wait a minute no we actually do need to you know straighten up and get back to work and stop screwing around so yeah I, that's how i'd like to see it but definitely all right well i'm going to take over here just for a second by myself real quick before we move on to our next segment and i would like to say a quick thank you to first of all the uh, artist uh, fokushi who provided our awesome theme song that you saw today and we'll be seeing in the future and links will be updated in the description after the show uh, just running up against the clock, new technical things, new 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 procedure as we continue to try to improve our show. Um, things happen. So I wasn't able to get that in there when I wanted to. However, I will have that up there. And our background audio is actually provided by a good friend of mine I served with in the United States Coast Guard. He goes by Morality on Spotify. Uh, his name, a real-life name, Michael Gabanik. And, of course, these people will be listed in the uh, credits. But you know what? I didn't ask for their help just to put them in the credits. Uh, I like the work that these artists have done, and part of this show's goal as we grow and expand is to bring more uh, awareness, so to speak, or just bring more independent content creators into light, and and, uh, so that's part of what we do here. So I'll probably give them personal mentions every couple of shows just because, I mean... I don't know what you guys thought of that theme song. I personally liked it. I, that was the vision I came up with when I first started this whole show, and I finally got to put it to screen, and I'm, I'm very happy with how it came out. And it'll probably improve and tweak over time, 
But uh, with that said, I believe it is time to move to our next segment, Apple TV's new show. Corion, you want to try and give us another rundown like you just did? Uh, well, I can try. So well. Um, well, okay, so Slow Horses, uh, to me, seems like the, the basic concept is. Um, this is where... Th- this camp is where... Um, spies who are not up to, who are not totally up on their spy game get sent so that they won't cause any more trouble um, and it's an opportunity for them to you know kind of be in the doghouse if you will that's that seems to be what the ranch is and our main character has been sent to the the spy equivalent of the doghouse which is for the you know the slower horses if you will in the horse race and uh, that's kind of where it starts out um, we're introduced to our main characters. Um, and we get, yeah, the basic premise that the, these guys are, are, you know, if, you know, we've got a, if James Bond is, is kind of the equivalent of Cobra Commander, this is kind of where Destro is, is hanging out or, or, you know, the Dreadnoughts, if you will, if you catch the reference, these aren't the best agents out there, but you know what? Uh, I, I think they've got the potential to, to definitely, um, show us something impressive down the road i mean we've got a lot of individual characters here who seem like they're they're coming together and you know it seems like we've got a a decent little core group right so yeah um so our main character is river cartwright she has managed to completely botch a training mission in a in a uh, terrible and hilarious way so she's excised to the 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 slow house which is um, yeah, for, for, you know, kind of a purgatory, uh, to see whether they can straighten up and fly right and get back into the good graces of the, the top of MI5. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's the best I got right now. You guys want to go for it here? Yeah. Uh, John, why don't you, why don't you give your thoughts? So I really well, first got. Of all, this... Actually, sorry, I need to ask this question. Did you guys watch both episodes or just one? Both. Just the one. Oh, for me. Okay. Yeah. So I watched both episodes. We'll try not I... to ruin it too much. <laughs> yeah, it's no, all good. It's all good. It it feels like we're getting another slow burn, similar to the way Severance opened. Like there's a lot of possibilities for what could happen and where the entire story could go um obviously we open with what appears to be a real high stakes situation but is later told like demonstrated to us is a botched training event um and the only reason river is kept in the company is because of his family ties to MI5 and i I feel like that is a complete misnomer. Um, I, I feel like the whole first two episodes are a bunch of exposition that doesn't actually relate to the story. And it doesn't relate to the bigger story that's going to be told. Uh, the way it, it really felt like it was opening at first kind of felt like Slough House was a... An, a government-run ISIS from the show Archer, the inter- international spy organization, something like that. Appreciate the clarification. 
Yeah, no, not the uh, Islamic State, but the uh, the one from Archer, and it it really felt like the the main person who runs Slough House is is uh, a, is like a male version of Mallory, except the exact opposite in terms of telling people to go to work. He's saying stop working, and that felt it, it felt forced. Just, just his complete unwillingness to do his job in a job that doesn't really need people like him. So, like, that was yeah, go for it. That was not the impression I got from his character. Actually, I, I could see where you're coming from, and I, I, I get it. Like, that's that's what he's definitely supposed to look like. But his character moments are in those very brief, especially in the second episode when he's like he's analyzing the situation to himself like he's already thinking that the bad guys are there's a lot more behind them than what we're what we're seeing so i'll just go ahead and give my quick rundown when it first came on and, and they started started getting into like who the villains were or whatnot and who the bad guy was so i was like really i roll here we go we're just gonna we're just gonna rehash the same political nonsense right then they went further with it and i was like okay Okay, I like where they. Okay, this is going a different direction. I didn't. I didn't really think that this was. Okay, this is different. So, I'm gonna stick it out, and I'm gonna see because I like where I like the idea behind it because I think what they're going for is probably gonna be similar to Peacemaker in that they're they're gonna be like, oh yeah, look at us, we're just as woke as everyone else, and then the end of the show is gonna end with, no, y'all need to stop being stupid. We're all in this together, which is kind of like sort of the ending that peacemaker was it touched two extremes and brought the 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 more reasonable people together at the end and i i feel like that's probably where this show will go i really hope it does because i mean if by the end it's you know it's more divisive and it's it's just all that kind of stuff yeah we don't need that we have plenty of that out there just on twitter alone we don't we don't need more people hating each other over over story and this, especially since this is made up however the fact that they're taking the ideology and they're they're like saying, well, what if in like a different world, instead of Islamic terrorists, you have actual right-wing terrorists that are actual terrorists? And okay, we'll see where it goes. And I'm I'm intrigued by them actually going to the lengths that they're going so far. Um, as far as the rest of the show, I wouldn't. Uh, slow burn is a good way to put it. I wouldn't. Right now, I wouldn't put the writing against the same caliber of Severance. Granted, they're two different shows, but this one seems to be kind of more direct, which is okay. It's not a bad way to tell stories. So I don't think we're going to... I think we might get some twists and turns that we don't expect, but I do feel that the focus of this story really is like... The writer came up with a, with a crazy premise, and uh, he wants to put more focus on the characters. So I think we're going to see a very character-driven plot, not so much with the concept, not so much with the, with the story. I mean, the story is going to be driven by the characters, as we've already seen. Um, I like it so far. They, they seem to play off each other well. Everyone's chemistry is there. I think Gary Oldman's character, we're going to really start to see him shine as the show goes on. Um, but his job isn't, he's not saying don't do your job because he doesn't want people to do their job. He's saying don't do your job because if you screw up here, you're out. Like this is the last stop 
for uh, MI5 screw-ups. You're not going, there's, there is no, there is no like remedial, remedial, remedial class after this. This is, this is the final level. This is it. So I think it's more of a, yes, he's coming off cynical. Yes, he's a, we're a do-nothing part of MI5. But he's really doing that secretly to keep the people protected because he strikes me as a guy who's been placed in this department on purpose and he's the one who basically helps them realize, hey, you guys need to stop going all, you know, 007 secret agent because reality is that's not how intelligence works. Intelligence is a team game. We all need to figure out how to work together. And I don't have time for any of your, uh, you know, cowboy nonsense. So we'll see, though. This is more just prediction and, and educated guessing based off of what I've seen so far. I, I like it personally. I, I think it's it's got potential to be it's it's doing stuff that's not really typical of spy shows. It's kind of taking a little bit of the other guys, but then it's also like kind of trying to 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 give us a, a a believable story, so to speak. I don't feel like they're gonna bust out you know super crazy gadgets I, I don't think that's the direction they're going at all i think they are trying to stick to more realism similarly to the to the excellent bbc sherlock which <laughs> we could do a whole show just on that show alone but i, I think it's i think it's got potential so so curry based on the first episode how do you feel well i feel like the 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 right-wing terrorists are going to be a red herring i feel like that's not going to be what the actual a big bad of the series is going to be um just on what i saw i was sitting there watching this going boy wouldn't it be great if it turned out the bad guy was like another nation state i mean you can pick anybody like a a analog russia or analog china because it's the uk those would be the the two primary intelligence issues and have like somebody trying to sway these people over to effectively become moles or you know um hapless you know like useful idiots for this other nation state like i feel like that would be a great way to take what they've already built and really go with it like these guys are not the best agents so you know some like for lack of a better term, because, uh, you know, not that I think this goes on at all or anything like that, but, like, let's say the bad guy was China. Have, like, some Chinese agent effectively manipulating these screw-ups into giving him larger access into MI5. I feel like that would be a great place this story could go and very easily go, because these guys do view themselves as, like, you know, kind of the better, you know, like the cowboys of the spy trade, if you will, uh, even though they've been kind of habbled like this. So I feel like there's a potential for great storytelling where somebody comes along and tries to buff them up, but really they're just using these guys to get in deeper into MI5. I feel like there's a lot of potential for some good storytelling when you have, you know, not the best of the best and put them into situations that would require the best of the best to deal with, or we're used to seeing the best of the best to deal with. A textbook example of this is the Orville. The Orville does this fantastically well, and I think this is the potential to do that fantastically well. Yeah, yeah. it's... it's. Uh, I think in... And I, I think it's in episode two, so sorry for the soft spoiler here, but Gary Oldman's character, he... he 
he starts to, like I said, he starts to suspect that there's, he's like, some of this just doesn't add up, and he's already kind of going towards that false flaggy kind of mentality, so, yeah, no, I'm gonna give it a try, it's, it's, pacing was pretty good overall, I mean, it gets a little dry at spots, but it's not like, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna give it a shot. I gave Peacemaker a chance. It's only fair I give it. Plus, Apple's been really good to us so far. So as far as content goes, I, I think I think we'll see where this goes, and it's it's got potential. Um, but uh, so I don't want my uh, review to come off as uh, as negative. So I, the reason I bring up the slow burn parts and, and that is that anybody who comes in. He's gonna understand that it's not one of those. It's it, it definitely didn't open super thrilling, aside from obviously the chase. Uh, in the, the right, but that that predictable hook right away was a misnomer, and that's what I was leading to. Right, uh, yeah, misdirection. And and I, I bring that up because that's the same vibe that I got from Gary Oldman's character is that. We are introduced to this drunk who is at the bottom of the barrel. The uh, grandfather of the main character, he's not forthcoming about any of this guy's background, except he knows everybody else's background in MI5, and he has very entrenched relationships with the majority of people in MI5, but whenever this other guy's name, Gary Oldman character's name, is brought up, he just says nothing, or he completely just misdirects um, right away. He's just like, no, uh, what, how's your day? Right? And that that's what I mean by the misdirections and these first episodes may or may not actually mean anything in the later parts of the season, and it's not to say that like we're not getting useful information, but I think it's trying to do a version of what Severance did, where they want you to come up with your own theories in between the episodes and try to figure out how this show is going to end. But at the end of the day, like you're not going to know until you watch episode 10 or 9, whichever one it ends on. And that's what I really felt with these misdirections in this first two episodes was that none of these characters are being accurately portrayed. And none of the reasons behind them being in Slough House is the same in any sense. Like, they they brought it up many times that, like, this is the end of the road or you get kicked out. But I don't see government organizations actually holding on to people they don't want. And so that makes me think that Slough House is supposed to look... Like, like I, I, I think Harry owns onto something, especially in terms of the a foreign intelligence trying to infiltrate Slough House, which is supposed to be the most disgruntled and uh, disenfranchised members of MI5. And I think that if anything, they're a honeypot. Like they're meant to look that bad so that they can catch those people. But I feel like with River being added to the team, I don't think it was a, oh, you don't belong in MI5. I think it's, oh, you're a very, like you said, you're a cowboy. 
and Slough House is the cowboy house because the cowboys can be blamed for everything. And when they get stuff done right, we just, MI5 takes credit. And I, I really got that vibe that, like, they're not as bad as they're supposed to be portrayed. Like, they're not failures. They're just individuals in a community. And the community doesn't want those individuals messing with the whole community, so they made just a small community of individuals. Yeah, so, they're they're not team players, and that's where I, why they're there. Yeah, and but I don't think that's a I, like I think the misdirect is in us thinking that like they're all on the verge of being fired, and that I think it's such a misdirect because it's being reiterated so much. And I think that's the point is like, we're supposed to think of these people as incapable because that's what their superiors defined them as, but their superiors don't even know the real reason behind Slough House because they're not the superiors of the organization. They're just their superiors. Well, and, and I think it can go another direction too, in that it, it sets up a, it could go the direction of plausible deniability. Whereas, like, the Slough House is, yeah, where we keep the MI5 rejects, so to speak, or the or the idiots, or the, the guys who get the, the screw-ups. But that also affords the organization the opportunity to have a section of itself that, if they get called for a mission and they screw it up, it's like, oh, well, these guys were all the screw-ups anyway, so, and they went rogue, which, okay, you know, no... It's not it's not MI5's fault, it's actually these guys who, who screwed up. And I almost wonder if maybe that's why Gary Oldman's character is the way that he is, is because he knows that they're the they're the pawn, so to speak. They're the ones that, that get thrown into the garbage job if they need like a, a government, you know, sanctioned operation that if they get caught then the government's screwed. So instead, he's like trying to make sure that okay, if we do get sent into an op like that we're not going to be the fall guys and we're going to still come out of this, but I don't know. I, I like, see, so maybe the show's but writing the, is actually better than I thought. Because so, so you're kind of thinking of them like kind of almost like a suicide squad kind of thing. Yes. But like, yes, I, very similar would, to that, but not like explicitly stated or sanctioned that way. And it's more of a, okay, yeah. here's this, this dark black op that we're going to send the screw ups on. And obviously we don't want the screw-ups to fail. It's not like that, but it's in the event of failing. Okay, guess what? You're the screw-ups. Y'all are going to prison. Bye. Um, I, I, I See, that I think is, is the misdirect. I don't think they're a suicide squad. I think they're more a lot... Like, the way Gary Oldman keeps telling River, just come to work. Don't be useful. Do what I say. Don't do anything else. I don't like you. I don't want you here. You should have been dropped out. Like, all of that makes River only more indignant and more entrenched in his belief that, like, even though he may not be considered MI5's greatest spy, he's still going to attempt to be the greatest spy. And in doing so, he's actually taking the time to go out and solve this stuff on his own which is that it goes back to that plausible deniability. What if we keep making the Cowboys feel completely outcast? So they go do it as if it was their own choice 
And if they succeed in my five takes credit, if they don't succeed, they go, well, that's why you're at Slough House. Sit down and shut up. And, and, and it's so more that they can get the cowboy action without, you know, without suiciding them, without uh, directly sending them on any ops. Like they're not, I don't think any of these people are going to be chosen for any operation. That being said, the way the, the, the world or the, the organization MI5 is actually like putting up a fight against their actions. Like they're, they're breaking all the rules. Like very, very illegal breaches of confidentiality and top secret government information. And their whole approach to like reprimand is please don't do it. Stop. <laughs> you, you can't. Like they're not, they make it seem like these people are on the edge of being fired. But it's like that edge is a mile long. And the only reason that they would do that is so that they keep testing the boundaries and every time they get away with it, awesome, MI5 wins one. But every time they don't, well, yeah, that's why that guy's at Slough House and he's not in the Central Command. And it's it's, it's like, get what you can from them because that's all you're going to get from them, but also don't let them infect the, the actual pawns, the ones that are the paper pushers, the ones that are just doing research because those people are necessary for the daily grind of intelligence gathering but these people are necessary for that wild out of the box gonna do the dirty gonna be jack bauer gonna be james bond like it seems like slough house is where james bond would have come from yeah i'd agree uh, look, I, I think the answer could be possibly both, right? I, I think both of you are onto something here, right? Because if you needed a team with plausible deniability that you didn't actually send them, you've got that. If you need a bunch of cowboys to go look at the problem from an angle that you hadn't intended anyone to look from initially, you've got that too. This... I think as it stands right now, we have, you know, both options are viable, right? Uh, I like the idea that it also could very easily just be a honeypot to catch, you know, foreign actors who are trying to uh, invade MI5 as well. There's a lot of great places this could go. Yeah, and... You know, and if we were getting a, a long-form 32-episode season, I'm willing to bet we'd see all of those options on the table. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I, I found out this is actually based on a book, so we may have to we may have to pick that book up and do a, do a read-through and, and then see how it compares to the show. Because uh, I don't know if maybe they're just borrowing the concept, like a certain book we're about to talk about, or if maybe they're actually like following the story to a to a certain percentage of accuracy. So I, I think we we'll have to we'll have to see about maybe doing that. I don't know, maybe next week or, or the week after. Well, when we do another book segment, but now we got another Apple show to follow for the next little while, since Severance will be. Saying goodbye next week, but at least we have a season two, so there is that to look forward to. Uh, all right, so we do have a pretty, I would say, a pretty fast segment coming up. Any final, uh, any final thoughts one way or the other? For oh, I'm gonna be. I feel like Slow Horses is on the track to take over for Severance. It's a hundred percent fun. 
it's just not in your face action packed fun and honestly that's what i like it's what i like about severance it's what i like in a good series especially one i've never heard of so i'm excited yeah yeah i'm, I'm willing to give this at, at least three or four episodes to see where it goes Absolutely. I, I will give it till the... I'll, I'll probably... I think this is only another nine-episode season, and, and I think we'll see where we're at, and we'll just talk about it each week, because, uh, you know, we don't uh, we don't have an obligation to stick to any shows, even though we do a lot of Apple TV promos here. We are not actually sponsored by Apple, so, uh, yeah, we don't like it. You know, it. That, that being... You know, that being said, Apple, if you do want to throw us some free product, we're not going to say no. Yeah. Now, now we you want to we, let me finish these seasons early. I, I will go on record right now and say that that if we get an Apple if we get an Apple TV sponsorship for this show, we will have at least one segment devoted to one Apple product every week for sure. Um, but that uh, excuse me, Apple production show. I'm not. I am not doing an iPod or an, an iPhone advertisement. No, no. Doing iTunes yeah. reviews starting now. No. I, I, I don't know. I think you you do pretty good on those uh, iPod dancing commercials. I, I think you could manage it. I would make a great silhouette in one of those. I should yeah. yeah I should see, with After Effects, I'll get us all silhouettes. You know, that'll be that'll be the new opening theme. Is just us dancing with with you know, Carrion and I rocking the dad bod while while John's there. Maybe he'll he'll probably phase out of turn on a couple of frames, but you know. Yeah, but. <laughs> Twist to the side, I go two-dimensional, and you can't see me. All right. Now on to a segment that the uh, third adopted writer brother came up with as an idea. And I'm glad we finally decided to make time for this. Starship Troopers! Carry on, you've been really great with the introductions. I'm just going to let you have this one again. All right. So Starship Troopers, the, the book versus the, the movie. So let's... Let's start uh, with a little bit of the movie because I'm sure everybody's a lot more familiar with the movie than they are with the book. Uh, the movie was done by Paul Vehoven. He took a script that he had been working on for a completely different story that was based more on pointing out the problems with fascism and was handed the job of adapting Starship Troopers to the big screen finally. Um, for anyone who follows the works of Robert Heinlein, you'll know that when he passed, the rights holder uh, became his wife. And his wife was very reluctant after the Puppet Masters uh, was made into a movie to release any other books to be made into shows. But she finally relented and allowed Starship Troopers to get made. And what Paul did was he took his own take on from this previous script adapted it to feel like starship troopers and this is what we got the 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 general rundown is it follows the the main character rico uh as he's going through his his life as a citizen in the federation it starts with him doing his placement test realizing that he wasn't going to get too far in, in regular scholastic life um but seeks adventure and joins the the military he faces the brutalities of the modern mobile infantry, um, loses his his girlfriend to a uh, career in the military, and during all this, uh, you know, uh, the beginnings of an alien invasion starts. And 
we wind up seeing the character progress from a, a young private all the way up to a, a you know a commander running his own unit. So it's interesting. It does. It takes a very decidedly sarcastic look at the fascist world that kind of cropped up in Starship Troopers and doesn't go very deep into any of the lore of the world building. It focuses more on on Rico's story of, you know, uh, boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, girl falls in love with military, boy boy falls into military, uh, aliens invade, it's time to save the universe, boy finds girl in cave, trying to take back the galaxy. The book is a totally different matter, though. The book opens with our main character having already been in the military for quite some time and operating on a raid using techniques and whatnot that, believe it or not, West Point Academy has pointed to as potential future operations that they would love to see the technology for and a future way of doing war. We then cut back to his initial starting time, his initial training time. Uh, Gone are the vaguely psychic phenomenon discussions. This is focused more in less hand-wavy sci-fi, I would say, and focuses more on military life and the concept of what would happen if after a major galactic or a major planetary catastrophe, if the veterans of those wars came together and said, the civilians who are pushing who are pushing us around on a map no longer have the moral authority to run the world, so we're going to step in. And that's exactly what they do. They decide that in order for you to have the moral authority to be able to make decisions for everyone, you must first choose to put your life on the line for those people. Um, to that end, they make sure anybody who is capable of um, you know, functioning in society has an opportunity to serve in some fashion. Um, our main character starts out as a private in the infantry and slowly moves up through his deeds and actions and not only learns how to be a good soldier, but learns how to be a good officer and how to command others and how to get along in that structure. Um, we don't focus so much on his relationship to his former girlfriend. We are focused much more on the military life and the concepts of a the escalation ladder, if you will, um, that the concept of force being used as a teaching tool, not necessarily as a, a bullying method. So the book t- uh, the book touches on a lot deeper philosophy in terms of why you would fight and how you would fight and why societies are organized the way they are. Um, I personally find the book a fascinating discussion about. Um, coming from a generation, because when Heinlein wrote the book, he had just gotten back from World War II. So having, you know, his understanding of how necessary military conflict is in some situations and trying to translate that to a, a, a philosophy that everyone could understand and in fact get behind, um, I think is a fascinating read and I think it's worth checking out. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I am very glad that I watched the show or watched the movie before reading the book in this case. 
because I I have a I still have a favorable opinion of the movie, but not without calling out the cultural vandalism that it is. Um, it deviates so heavy from the book that I was like, this is exactly what modern pop culture is doing right now with current works. Like, we see this with Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, literally everything is deviating so hard from source material that I would have, oh man, if, 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 if I was the writer, if I signed off Galaxia onto a project like this, and this is what they just decided to steal my characters and scenes, and then throw in their own concept, I would be livid. Which is why I will never give up such creative control. Um, it's... It, the, the movie is still good. This is not a movie bad, book better, you know, usual thing. Uh, the movie by itself, with its own story and its own implications, is still enjoyable. It's kind of interesting how when the movie came out, you know, less than five years later, we're in the Iraq war now. And it's like you watch Starship Troopers after Iraq, Afghanistan, and you're like, huh, okay. So it kind of has its own sort of retroactive commentary in that regard when when the original author wrote the or wrote that movie and transcribed the book so starship troopers as a movie i still recommend watching it's not without its problems though it's it basically took characters and it even went so far as to take actual scenes from the book because i'm listening to the audiobook and i'm like this is right out of the movie oh wait other way around so you took the scenes of the characters but then you just I'm gonna go do my own thing. This is a good example of what not to do when putting a book on screen. It's okay to take your own kind. It would actually be okay if they called it Starship Troopers and just renamed the characters. I think that would have gone over so much better for the for the book books and be like, well, you know, the book follows this other character, which I hear there's an animated series out there worth checking out. I'll have to look into it before I say anything one way or the other. It it's just it's a good example of like it wouldn't even be so bad if they used the same characters i think what really just struck me at my core was actual word for word scenes taken from the book why why would you go why would you put that it's like what you say carry on when it comes to halo why are they going so into the detail of the series but they're just going in a totally different direction what's the point at that point just make your own show because now you're just going to piss off fans that are already dedicated to a product. Thankfully, that's not the case. I can still look at the movie because by itself, the movie's story is still good. It has its own story in its own universe. So, as far as what I thought the book was, I, I thought the book was great. I It was a great use of my time to, to sit down and just kind of listen. Because it does focus more on the concept of the universe, not really so much the the other implications that the movie brings up and so yeah i highly recommend that you watch both uh, that you you watch the show and you listen to the book or read the book and just just kind of you got to make your own opinion out it on the end of the day because as i said the movie's still good i'll still people i'll still tell people yeah watch the movie but just yeah. understand that the cultural vandalism has been going on for many years this is nothing new for hollywood unfortunately and it's it's sad to it was really i was just like it's, it's it's never changed it's always the same but overall both are great in their own right just oh man also Very what a bad what a bad transcription from from book to screen 
that's 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 my thoughts on it um, to start. John, you've been sitting there patiently waiting. Yeah, um, I didn't really feel like I didn't think the movie was terrible, aside from the fact that it it really don't like. It put on all the normal archetypes, like you said, carry on. It brought in the boy meets girl, girl joins military, boy follows her, boy goes, gets really into the military, meets another girl, meets the other girl, it, it, and it felt like its own story, but the book felt like the first bug fight in the movie and everything before that. Like, aside, like, I I, I feel like the book took this just tons of time to explain, like, a legit future military. I legitimately felt that the writer's understanding of why people fight in the first place was more organic than any movie I've ever seen since um and and more than anything it was more organic than what i learned in the military it going into the military was a lot like going into the beginning of this movie where these people are like i especially the scene where it's like i'm doing my part and there's the kid he says i'm doing my part and everybody laughs at him like that's what the military really is like when i joined there was a, a swath of people that legitimately said the commercials motivated them to become Marines. And every commercial that they mentioned, I didn't know. Like, for me, my whole, in, like, my personal justification for joining the military was to prove I could do it to myself. But when I read this book, I felt like that's a lot more what I was getting from it because the military, especially from what I've learned from people that live in places like the UK or more internal European countries, as we've gotten from World War II, most of their entire societies are, uh, most of the societies are actually fighting the the idea that you owe your nation anything um like like we we watch a lot in media these days about like what what do you what do you want from your country right do you want health care do you want medicaid do you want social security do you want retirement do you want land do you want police all those things but very rarely do we have the JFK question of ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country and especially nowadays where the governments are becoming more and more organized by the wealthy elite and they're mostly benefiting the wealthy elite the poorest of us the ones that actually end up being forced to join the military in times of crisis we see no reason to give our nations wherever they may be anything like, why would I ask my country what I can do for it when it's literally only benefiting the rich and the top? And the way this book talked about it was, like, exactly where we're headed. The way the elites are defining civilian versus citizen is a civilian is somebody who 
reaps the the fruit of the nation but does nothing to help it and that that thought especially drawn out especially after an alien invasion especially after global catastrophes especially after like the mechanization of the military it made it almost it makes it almost impossible to convince the people that are spending most of their days from you know from high school from middle school all the way up to high school childhood all the way through to high school and then once they graduate their next option is do i go to college well if i can't afford it then no so i'm gonna go be something in this world or this nation and and i'm kind of rabbit trailing away from the story but the way that the the book painted the birth of the fascism it wasn't this idea of well we're the number one nation we're the coolest we have won the most wars we have the toughest and biggest military instead it was like no we're the toughest because we demand service for certain rights like you have to sacrifice in order to get something and then that sacrifice like anybody who does sacrifice feels like anybody who hasn't sacrificed isn't worthy and that compounded over years and years and years leads to what we see in this like military and it it just honestly this is a military i would actually enlist in versus the one i did enlist in because even the sergeants and the officers throughout the story their entire mission is about bringing their people home but they can't let their people think that it's all about them getting home and that's why they there's all these uh lines in the book where it talks about look i don't care if you die as long as your suit gets back to us that's all we care about but then you meet the officers and you hear the stories of the officers and it's like yeah officer so-and-so was the last person on the lifeboat every single time he did not let a single troop get on like after him he had everybody on before he ever got on and that's that's the military every military person wants to fight in is they want officers and sergeants that are hard when time like when they're trying to make you hard but when it actually like push comes to shove they'll shove the enemy back until you're on the lifeboat flying home even if they're not and i feel like that's where the movie really missed out is like this book painted a very plausible and potential fascist government that had actual citizens motivated to be a part of it and backing it up and supporting it and even the uh, main character's father he like he's like no you can't join the military you can't do it and throughout the book this destroys his son like his son just has no relationship with his dad can't talk to him his mom just keeps laying it on him about how much of a failure he is for joining and then one day rico meets his dad getting like they're switching ships and that showed him like it changed the whole story like Rico was doing what he thought was right and by the end of the story his dad says you were right I should have done this like I should have been the example for you but you were the example for me
and that that's so much more beautiful than some romance or a, you know a cross gender or not cross gender a mixed gendered bathroom like that doesn't those scenes while making the movie more fun and you know proving in the future that we can be better to each other and especially when you add robot suits then it becomes very meaningless which genders in the robot as long as both of them are trained in the right tactics and that's kind of what the movie gave us but the book gave us so much more human it gave us yeah. human despite talking about aliens like they got rid of the Russia China fight the America Russia China fight the 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 unions the allies and axis and they changed it so that the allies were borderline nazis fighting a more extreme enemy but at the same time it was a thousand percent more human than most even than even saving private ryan like i felt way i felt more fulfilled and satisfied in reading this book than i did in the last 10 sci-fi movies i've watched and that that has just never happened when it comes to books yeah, yeah. i i to to build on what you're saying there there's an interesting section in the book where uh while rico's at officer school they talk about why the world is a fascist state the way it is and the answer was simply well because it works if a different system came along and was better, we'd all 100% be sliding over to it. But because we just don't have a better system available to us, this is what we're using. And I think that spoke really, really well to why a, a nation would choose to go in this direction, where it's kind of like a, um, I almost want to call it like a democratic fascist environment where people are voting, but they're only voting for a specific group of individuals who have served. Uh, I, I also really liked your um, analogy of reaping, uh, like people that just reap from the, the fruit versus other people. I mean, literally what they're saying is the people who plant the fruit trees are the ones who get to vote on how the fruit is distributed. And that, you know, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean... When you break it down like that, of course, you know, when you put it into far more, you know, far more reaching implications of that philosophy in terms of the government, of course, things get, you know, kind of dangerous and weird, but it does make a lot of sense as a starting point. Um, and that's almost the danger of, of the book in, in a lot of ways and the good part of the book, too. Yeah, I... I... I loved that about the book because, well, obviously the idea of this government being the best possible choice for the entire world is extremely convoluted and extremely naive in terms of like what, you know, global communication actually does to a society because the writer didn't ever experience instantaneous global communication like we have. But instead he explained how America, like he, they went into it. They said, What about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? And he said, How can you have those rights if you can't breathe? And that, I, I, I'm pretty sure I paraphrased and butchered the line, but that question is real. 
because when you're especially in terms of like like this this world and this universe especially for the humans is run mostly by the government and in that aim the government has made it so that extraterrestrial travel is a hundred percent real like they're setting up colony planets they've solved overpopulation by exploration and conquest but then that exploration and conquest has led to different fights and different wars and different separations that caused a need for an active regularly supplied military and that military service and in a lot of cases like a lot like like we were just talking about in slow horses there's a lot of jobs in the military that never ever see action there are a lot of people needed for intelligence gathering there are a lot of people needed for training personnel training supply chain logistics is one of the most essential pieces of military um any kind of military success and the book legitimately took the time to explain why a rico wasn't going to join any of those but b why those are important and c it took the time to elaborate on why why the writer thought this world could exist like the writer actually took the time to see the future write the pathway to the future and then also write it from a fascist perspective that promotes the fascist government he he didn't he didn't ignore anything he intentionally guided especially like you said when you brought up the the ocs uh, officer candidate school training it legitimately explains how the fascism played a major role and and it, and it explains it from the government to the government employees like it's not a he didn't learn this in the mobile infantry he didn't learn this in sergeant's training course he learned this as he was becoming an officer who was about to be relied upon to go back and teach it to his sergeants or at the very least enforce it and that's what made this book so real is even though it's about aliens even though it's about science it really felt almost no fiction <laughs> and that's wild yeah a great I, I think that's one of the yeah I, I think one of the great things about it too um about the way they explain it and everything is is not just that it's plausible but you can see that this is a government that you know only veterans would come up with because um, having spent as much time around veterans as I have, you know, they don't hide anything about how the government is operating. I mean, operational secrets are one thing, but how everything is put together, it's not like a traditional fascist state that's going to, you know, try to protect its citizens from the truth. No, it flat out tells its citizens here's what's going on here's how we got here here's why we got here so it's it's not just equipping these soldiers with survival skills but it's equipping them with the understanding of the life skills that they're going to need in order to lead others and that i think was a textbook example of how i have always seen veterans um behave to other veterans you know no no lies no secrecy just straight up, here's why we do what we do. 
and here's how we're going to do it. And that, I mean, if there's one thing I think we can all agree on our, our government's existence right now, I think we'd all agree that that would be really nice to have a lot more of, right? I, I think, uh, yeah. you know, dropping civics a, a, as much as it has been has been kind of a detriment that, uh, you know, at, at the very least, this one this book will convince you why civics is an important course to have. Yeah. Tra- transparency, I, I believe, is the answer to solving most of the most of the corruption issues, and and that's for all governments. Um, but everyone's got to want to be on board with it. You know, we can't just think that just because we have the right idea that all right, we'll just go ahead and force you all to accept the U.S. Constitution. No, because that you know that becomes imperialism. Everyone's got to be wanting to go for it. However. That said, I have talked to a lot of people from either different regions or grew up in different regions, and, and there's usually a consistency between them that, oh yeah, we need, you know, while, while some of our ideas may be opposite, while some of our ideas may conflict, ultimately most everyone ends up agreeing on the basic concept of, oh yeah, we need more transparency, we need better education, we need to be more truthful with everything we do, typically. I mean, not like literally every detail of your life, but it's like that's that's the extreme that needs to at least be held to our governments is no i want to know and and i don't want to get into like a super i'm going to try and say as apolitical as possible i want to know what every cent of my taxpayer dollars goes to and every single person who pays taxes should have that right to know where your money's going and to have more of a say in what your money's going towards and that's just one example it's all you can apply the same thing to every single aspect and you know yeah, the, the argument that you get pushback of as well, national security, well, if we're not hiding anything, it's not really that big of a deal, you know, doesn't end up, you kind of get rid of the problem in that process if we're not really super worried. Outside of outside of personal defense, we don't really need to keep a whole lot of secrets in, in the long run. So, there, and that's just one idea, though. And I'm not saying I have the right idea. I just, that, that, that's just a consistency when I, when I argue with people that we come off as political opposites. It's like we end up agreeing transparency. Doesn't matter what system you want to put on top of that. If there isn't enough transparency and accountability, which that's why, that's basically what the author showed us in this book was because they're so straightforward with everything. Yeah, we know what we are. We're not going to hide it. Most people go along with it because they're not being BS or fed a bunch of lies. Yeah, so I I think you're onto a couple of things here, especially with uh, what this society does differently than what most fascist governments does is there's a difference between a civilian and a citizen. A civilian is somebody who is born in, in the nation, raised in the nation, and has yet to contribute to the nation. The nation being, you know, the the human race in this show or in this story, and this so the civilian isn't they aren't a slave to the nation. They aren't a serf. They aren't a peasant. They aren't poor. Like uh, Rico's family is very wealthy, and in the book they're going. He's trying to go to Stanford, or that's what his dad wants for him. So it's it's not like being a civilian means you don't get the chance to make a bunch of money or you don't get to live a fruitful life instead it's that like what you were saying about i want to be able to know where my tax dollars go i'm like yeah i think that that's extremely important 
But the reason why we don't is because we started relying on a federal government to take care of the taxes rather than the state governments. And if it was the state governments, then the counties and the cities could actually contribute. And then me as a a person living within a city can regulate my city. And if you regulate your city, the two cities will compete economically, but grow together because we're not actually fighting. And that's how you have cities growing exponentially and then if the cities are all growing then the state grows if the state grows then the federal government grows but in the way we're doing it now is we're giving all of our money to the top the top is then saying we know how to spend it because you elected us to be in charge no so we're gonna spend it and yeah exactly like the oh yeah no i'm going along with you sorry to interrupt (laughs) yeah no the, the impetus for uh of knowledge doesn't exist like we don't actually care if our politicians are the smartest people in the union we care that they're supposedly in line with our values even though almost never do politicians actually state their values unless they want to lose their race and that's what this that i feel like that's what the author was starting to see in post-World War II America because that's what was happening from FDR to Lyndon Johnson to, uh, I want to say it goes Nixon, JFK. I can't remember exactly the order. Um, Nixon was was after JFK. I couldn't remember if he had one run first, JFK showed up, and then JFK died and he came back after He ran against him in the first election and lost. That's what it was. He just ran against him. But, so, like... The things that the author was seeing was that we're giving up our responsibility. Like We are actively asking other people to take care of our cities for us. And we're asking people that live 200, 2,000 miles away. to like. We're asking somebody who lives in Washington, D.C., who has to deal with Washington, D.C., traffic, politics, life, commerce, trade, meeting people to deal with Boise stuff in the 50s, even though they couldn't even talk to Boise without a phone. And if they talked to them, they weren't gonna get the full picture because it's not like everybody in Boise was wholly educated enough to paint the picture, right? And that's what I mean by this. So it's almost like we need to kind of reorganize- Take control of our own space. Make them all digital. Well, no, I think we need to be responsible for our land. If we're going to claim to be a citizen of an area, then we need to be keepers of that area. And I think that's really what this movie represented in, in the book more so than the movie is the book really goes into that. Those that put in the effort to sacrifice, to educate themselves, those are the ones that are going to run this nation because they put in more effort than everybody else. If you don't put in that effort, fine, but you don't get to get mad at the ones that are actually working for working. And that, that to me seemed more fair. Now, if it were to go start in this world, I feel like we'd very quickly go back to what the Nazis and what China's actively doing with the Uyghurs, like concentration camps, because the lazy civilian can't be trusted to do their job unless we threaten them with permanent imprisonment. Which is what we do here in America as well. I mean, oh, we don't we don't threaten anybody with prison. We pick them out when they're young and and possibly volatile, and we ship them off to privately owned prisons. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, but, no big deal. I mean, deal. this is one thing. 
This is the wonderful thing about this book, though. It's actually having... Take a look at what just happened here. We were all... The three of us were able to have a very deep, very interesting discussion about our own civics, right? And we're able to do it in such a way that we all had a respectful understanding of each other's positions. Even if we don't necessarily 100% agree with them, we are able to use this concept of a framework as an idea that we can all get behind, right? A, yeah, we all agree, you know, hey, we need more transparency. We need more, um, you know, we like these things about this society from the book. And it's making us look at what we have here and saying, maybe we need to look at those issues. And that's that's what great sci-fi work should do. It should make you think, and not necessarily spoon-feed you the answers, but give you a starting point to start looking for your own answers, right? Heinlein's, one of Heinlein's primary themes in his books has always been about personal responsibility. And this really comes into play in this book. And we're, I think, all in agreement that in general, we'd be in a much better place as a society and probably as a species if all of us took a lot more personal responsibility for in our day-to-day activities. I agree. If that isn't an author managing to um, get across the importance of that through this work, I mean, I don't know what is. Yeah, I... I've never read a book that encouraged so much personal responsibility with while simultaneously showing how if everybody does their job it looks a lot like communism in 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 yeah. in the most general sense right each person has a role to fill and and throughout the whole book we hear very little about the need for money how much they're getting paid how much it matters to them in their day to day they almost like the main character has three hots in a cot every night, every day. And that the, but the, the role that he plays is so important to the greater good, but only if it also feels like it's important to the main character. And that's what they were like harping on in such a, an aggressive sense. It's like you said, personal responsibility, but also, what are you responsible for? Like, without civics class, we A, don't know what we can affect, and we don't know how to affect change. Like, we, we can't... It's it's more we don't know what we don't know because no one ever explained it, and by the time somebody does explain it, it's usually a con artist who's on their way to taking over a nation because they figured out how to play the game. And that... This... This book made government and the citizens' role in government so much less about playing the game correctly and so much more about the government's duty to explain the game to everyone and then the players can play. And and yeah, civics, I think, is the, the only way we know where we came from where we're going and how we're trying to get there so that we can then jump in and do our part which in especially in the modern day most of our parts is just be nice like most of our roles is if we're not causing problems people have less reason to have problems with us 
And then when they do have problems with us, because we've been nice the whole time, they're wrong, and our force was necessary, and obviously necessary. And But if we're always braggadocious and audacious, and always just assuming that our government has the entire world, let alone our best interests at heart, then that's where we get this blind leading the blind. Nobody knows where we're going because nobody has any idea of what good would look like. And this book, while it was about a fascist government, at least made it look like it could work. Star Wars obliterated the rebellion that took over right after we had the whole culmination of like, yes, now the people taking back the power and no. Now nobody's taking power, just people are fighting for it. And I feel like this book made so much more realistic sense in a sci-fi universe. Yep, and speaking of sci-fi, which is probably our main main feature here on this show, we're going to go ahead and transition to our final segment of uh, of the evening, and that is with a live watch of the Strange New Worlds trailer. Woo! All right, we're gonna go Yay. ahead and play this, and then we'll we'll get our uh, yeah we'll get our our well this will be like my millionth reaction, but I'll get into that in a second. Hi. Sorry to interrupt. your captain our mission to chart the stars push the boundaries of what is known and what is possible i'm standing on the surface of a comet i love this job these people this crew I believe we can do anything. You want to seek out new life? Go where the aliens are. Your presence is blasphemy. Let's talk about this. Find some comfort. I think that went well. Perhaps we should kiss. That seems logical. Maybe we don't touch anything else. Just a suggestion. The whole future hangs in the balance. No one can know the future. One can only follow one's instincts. You're the best of Starfleet. Our ability to work together, that's our greatest strength. Let's show them what you got. I don't want to stop on that. Ah, that's better. (laughs) Strange New Worlds is a strange new Star Trek show coming May 5th, as you can see on the screen. It stars Anson Mount as Captain Pike, who arguably is the only reason that Star Trek Discovery was even watchable for season two. And, uh, well, I think that trailer did everything it was supposed to do. 
point, which is why I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic and excited. I've, I've, so between the Obi-Wan trailer and this one, I have shamelessly watched these several different times to get excited, and I really hope that it's not crap. But Star Trek has not had a very good track record. Um, at least half of the fan base has felt alienated by a lot of the new products, whereas others are probably mostly apologizing now at the same time. If you do like New Trek, I'm not going to give you shade for it. You are, we, we believe that people are allowed to like whatever products they want on this show, which is why we feature them. We think, hey, you might like this, and this is why we like it or why we don't like it. We're about sharing ideas here. And so with that, I like some of the ideas I've seen in this trailer. But let's go to Carry On for the more logical analysis. Ooh, okay, well, um, that's the first time I've been called logical, but all right, let's go with it. Um, all right, my... Until you give me uh, a... I'll be honest. When, yeah, fair enough. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, New Trek hasn't really spoken to me. Um, I completely respect that there are some people out there that are enjoying New Trek, and all the more power to them. Um, I felt like it left some of the older fans, uh, some of the, the more next-gen Deep Space Nine OG Trek fans at the by the wayside as they, they pursued a new audience. And that's absolutely their choice. Um, I've always said that, to me, sci- uh, good sci-fi poses questions and allows the viewer or the reader to find their own answers. I have personally found that the the new Trek era has been more inclined to spoon spoon feed us the answers to the problems it itself finds. Uh, Basically, instead of a, here is our view of how you could solve these problems, but here are the problems, you know, and here are some of the major issues. It goes, here's the problem, here's the solution, do it or catastrophe. I'm hoping that they abandon that philosophy for Strange New Worlds. I really, really am. Um, I'm really hoping that the scenes we have from Pike here, some of them are him really kind of mouthing off and being goofy to, to alien species he runs into. That may be how the character is going to be portrayed going forward. I've never felt that Pike was really like that from from the the limited amount of run we've seen of him. He wasn't that goofy charismatic he was more um you know he was definitely charismatic he was definitely friendly but not goofy friendly so i'm interested to see where that goes um i'm interested to see a spock um that doesn't have the firmness and confidence that we saw commander spock have right I'm, i'm very interested to see a young Lieutenant Spock that doesn't have all the answers yet, that doesn't have all the logic sorted out. I think that's a potential for a very interesting series. Um, number one has always been a fan favorite since she premiered in The Cage um, in terms of a, a, a an interesting female character that we've wanted to see more, so I'm hoping we're going to get an opportunity to, to see more of her character and have her built up as an interesting character to follow and watch. I think this has a lot of potential. 
Um, I have concerns that it's going to touch too closely on events from original Trek and modify those, which is a concern of mine. Um, I feel like there are other concerns about changing of characterizations that that's concerning, but I do think they have a potential to tell some very good and very interesting stories here. And I'm hoping that I'm really hoping they live up to that potential. Yeah. Um, Anson's, uh, Pike in season two of discovery, I think was, was very, well, I think he did a great job. Uh, like I said, I, I, I don't know if you heard, but he actually had to have back surgery cause he carried the whole season. Um, yeah, that's a joke. That's not real. Uh, <laughs> Just to clarify for members of the audience that are listening, um, he really brought a open-minded Pike, which I think is great for the character. I like that he's a bit more open-minded on the spiritual side of things. I think that is like we haven't really seen that in Star Trek. Uh, DS9 showed us a little bit of that, but even then, we saw how Cisco was very much apprehensive towards the whole spirituality thing. And Archer was a little more open-minded, but still sticking to that, you know, Gene Roddenberry, there is only science way of thinking. I really liked how Mount came off as like, he may or may not be a a member of some kind of, of one of the many religions of Earth. And his respect in that episode where they find the the chapel that was built where it shouldn't have been and, and his whole, the way he carried himself overall, I liked it. And I understand the concerns, the, the quirkiness, the quips. It, it could very much change the character from, you know, to sort of like a pre-Kirk instead of his own thing. So, yeah, I definitely don't want to see that. I, I like to see him as... I'd like to see him as himself. As, as like, I don't know, some something a little more unique that we haven't seen. That maybe someone... You know, they, they tried to do the spirituality thing with Janeway, but it didn't really play well. But that's because that show was too focused on episodic content that's why Janeway's character was so inconsistent and and not well liked in the in the truck base because we had gotten used to you know here's Picard he's the same Picard from episode one as he is episode seven I mean there's a few changes and developments here's Cisco we watch Cisco grow but he stays mostly consistent here's Janeway where you know the prime directive is all that matters one week and then the next week it's to hell with the prime directive I'm killing this Tuvix guy and doesn't work so i'm hoping that we at least have character consistency i'm hoping that we at least get to see like okay guess what guys even you know hundreds of years into the future chances are religion is still going to be around in one form or the other so we need to continue like we have been past trek shows learning to work together learning to overcome our differences now somebody who is not as big a fan of star trek is on live with us right now and I'd like to get his hot take on the trailer overall, and uh, just what what do you think, John? How, how do you feel about the Strange New Worlds trailer? Dude, I love spaceships. I love space battles. I love aliens. Um, I love Star Trek, not for any one character or their relationship to just just in general like I never watched Star Trek as a writer I always watched it as a as a, as a young kid or as a student um, 
I never actually like took the time to an analyze its writing until more recently when I rewatched the newer movies and I tried getting back into uh, Next Generation, um, but I just don't, I didn't like Star Trek for that. I liked Star Trek for it being the expanded, more regulated, and more diverse Star Wars. It takes the time to go to different planets to meet different people doing different things and i've always seen that as like the ultimate potential for having new and different writers come in and out like that's one of the things that's really frustrated me about the newer star treks is they're taking whole seasons to deal with existential questions of today Whereas the older Star Treks, it felt like there would be one episode or one movie devoted to those certain questions. And even then, they wouldn't even answer them. Nine times out of ten, they would answer it the way the characters were supposed to answer it, and or felt like the characters answer. And then from there, it was on you to decide if they did good or not. But at the end of the day, they survived due to whatever plot armor you know helped them survive. But it was... It never felt disingenuous. It never felt like they were providing unnecessary stakes. Like they acknowledge that they are on a super advanced spaceship with super advanced tech, like being able to beam yourself up and down whenever you want. And then with the three movies, the trilogy that came out most recently, they went more into trying to give us stakes for things that we already knew had stakes like i feel like they would have done a much better job if they just redid the original six movies with modern tech and that was it like same lines and everything you would have had you would have respected the fans better than what you did where you tried to make star trek transformers and star wars but the beauty of star trek has always been its openness its room for like, oh, we did really bad on that planet. Let's be better on the next one. Rather than, oh, we're perfect all the time and we're perfectly perfect. And if the enemy is bad, well, we're the good guys and we'll fix it. And that, like, it, it's childish. It's naive and, and it's boring. Like, that's what kids' movies are for. That's what Transformers is for, is watching movies where we tie it up in a nice bow at the end. Star Trek has always been like, no, these people are growing with the show. They're growing into their characters. They're becoming staples of this universe. And that's why people keep watching for 30 seasons. It's the same thing. Like, if anything, Star Trek is like Family Guy, where you don't really care what the episode's about because at the very least, you know who the characters are. And these newer stories have never been like that. The characters are always changing and going through the hero's journey. Like, they already did the hero's journey. That was boot camp. That was school. That was OCS. That's not what captaining a ship is for. You don't get in charge of an entire fleet of people and then now you're realizing the importance of camaraderie now you're realizing the importance of a spirit accord like no you know that on your way to becoming captain and that's why like 
like I don't want to say this show's going to be good or not. I know I know I want to watch it, but the modern writer is writing one just really poorly. Like they're not writing stories worth listening to. They're writing over settings and trying to inject stories of today. And it's disingenuous and gross. But I do really want this show to be what good shows are. Like, the only shows that have standed the test of times are the ones where people, where the actors play their character and their character is worth remembering. And that's what I fear. Like, I watched the first season of Picard. I don't remember anything that happened. And now I don't care for Picard's death. I, I watched the first, like, four or five episodes of Discovery, and I really enjoyed all of the visuals. I was like, finally, modern-day Star Trek visuals. But the stories were so dumb and so contrived and just so much, this is the end of the world. Oh, wait, there's a billion worlds in this universe. This is the end of the universe. And it's like... Who cares if it's the end of anything? Yep. Like, we don't... It could literally be World War II on this planet in the future, and we watch one mission from that World War II. It, that, there's actually a TOS episode that does exactly that, and uh, it, it's it's worth watching, too. Um, it's amazing. You've only watched five episodes of Discovery, and you watched some of Pucard, and... Uh, you basically managed to still describe exactly what is wrong with both of those shows is so perfectly because you're right it's the you know with with discovery it's michael burnham who's you know to quote a friend of ours the bestest ever and she has no struggle and she's she's just amazing for from day one more or less she has like this convoluted mutiny thing that ends up being totally non sequitur and it's just it, it it really is bad and it's boring and it's sad because that's the thing about that's the thing about Star Trek being bad guy of the week. What really made TNG good in this sense was the fact that you, you the universe felt so much bigger because you weren't dealing with ridiculous galactic level threats. It was, no, we're in trouble in this specific area, on this specific planet, this many billions of miles from Earth. That is part of what made Star Trek good. And that's what I love about Deep Space Nine is it's a good combination of that serialized plus episodic storytelling, which, John, I highly recommend you make time for DS9. Anyone who talks about who's never seen Star Trek or only has some familiarity with Star Trek, I always tell them, watch Deep Space Nine. Don't worry about anything else, about the lore, about all that stuff. If you get into it, then great, go from there. But if you, but you gotta start. All right, you gotta start with Best of Both Worlds, then you can watch DS Nine. Carry on, go ahead. Now that was. I it. was about I to it. say you, it, you, you knew exactly where I was going. That you have to watch Best of Both Worlds Part One and Two first, and then immediately go into Deep Space Nine, and it will make a lot of sense. Um, but there's a line that I feel like sums up what good Trek is. And it actually comes from Deep Space Nine. It's one line Cisco says when he's just super frustrated at one point. He's talking to one of his subordinates. And he says, you know what the problem is? The problem is Earth. On Earth, there is no crime. There is no pro- poverty. There is no corruption. They've solved all the problems. 
but we're out here in the middle of nowhere and not all the problems have been solved yet. And we need to figure out how to help solve those problems if we're to get anywhere close to that idyllic, you know, like that kind of idyllic paradise. And for Earth to come by and say, well, you know, just give everybody a replicator is not practical. Right? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Or even sufficient. Right. Um, And I feel like that is the perfect way to describe how you build a Star Trek episode. You take a problem that exists in the galaxy, right? Um, And you can take any problem you want. You can take racism. You can take sexism. You can take any sort of ism or phobe or, you know, weird scientific issue. And then you show people coming from a society where, oh yeah, this problem is licked because we as humans could all agree to lick this specific problem this specific way. But then you've got this conflict out here that the the primary reason why this problem exists is because of some sort of socioeconomic issue that's going on in the background. So we can't just solve it the way Earth did. We have to come up with a unique solution for this environment. Sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But that's how you build the premise of an episode, is take something that, yeah, humanity does have an answer that worked for humanity, but it won't work out here. It won't work for this species. It won't work for these people. And that, I think, is the core to building a good Star Trek episode. And, yeah, you can serialize it. You can have an overarching meta plot that touches on a whole bunch of other different issues. But at its core, each episode has to have that as at least the A plot. Uh, in, like, an A, B plot kind of setup. So. Yeah, and, and and that's what Trek was always best known for. I mean, even, even though we have our... You know, everyone has their disagreements with the Berman era, but it's like the you know the Roddenberry and Burma eras of Trek were some of the best because the focus was how do we tell a good story. That was always the priority when 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 sitting down was how do we tell a good story, and then from there that's that's what we got. That's how we got the shows that we did. Like I I I wish I was a little bit. Oh, I mean. Not ungrateful for my time that I've been placed in this life, but if I had just been a little bit older to appreciate a true time when you, when when you could truly be excited for three, or no, there's only ever two Star Trek series on at the same time. That's what I would like to get back to. But it's like the focus needs to be. Look, again, I don't have an issue with someone's ideology as long as you're respectful. One of the source material that you're borrowing. Two. You respect your audience. Doesn't matter if your audience agrees with you or disagrees with you. You still have to show them the same amount of respect regardless. And three, your your focus is, is like I said, it's, it's, it's got to be, you know, the characters. Are these characters believable? I do not care if you think that, that the woke ideology is correct, just as an example. I, it's fine. Just don't, don't treat me... Like, because I don't agree with you, like, I'm somehow less than you. And that's really the the issue that we have right now, especially in our culture, whether it's pop culture, whether it's political, is that people think that because they think their ideology justifies othering themselves from each other. And that's not what Star Trek has ever been about. Star Trek has always been about overcoming issues, finding common ground, 
making making things work together so that 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 the mission could be accomplished so that the day could be saved and that's what i want to see come back in strange new worlds that's what i hope comes back i don't care if there is i don't care what what the characters identities are i don't care if if, if i just i don't because you can have those characters and you can say those messages but it's how you deliver the message that matters. That's the key that that a lot of these current showrunners don't get is it's not about the it's not necessarily about the content that you're saying cuz I can pick apart discovery and not drop the woke word even once. I don't even have to touch the ideological problems with the series. I can just look at the series by itself and go, "Nope, this character sucks. This plot line is bad. This is just awful." Why? Oh, great visuals though. Who cares? Um <laughs> it's yes that is why new trek has sucked and i really hope that you know when they say okay we finally listened to the fans we're giving you what you want it's like okay all i want at this point and and i know i said all that stuff honestly if this show is just an hour of fan service a week and it's just star trek fan service and they just rehash some other plots and it, it fine 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 i as long as we're not going to the levels of disrespect that we've had with Picard and Discovery, and well, even Lower Decks season one was pretty bad, but credit where due, season two did get a D minus from me. After all, as far as the Trek show goes, is it sufferable? Yes, it's getting better, and I'm going to give yeah, season three a shot. And then, you know, the Trek three season rule. After season three, if it's not there, it's not there. But John, you looks like you got a thought. Yeah, well, I got a couple. I think. Especially what you're saying about ideology. What you're saying about ideology, especially when it comes to writing, if you can't write down your ideology, don't shove it down my throat. Because I know my ideology inside and out. And it's not a it's not simple, it's not definable in a season. I it took me twenty plus years to figure it out myself. But when it comes to working within somebody else's creation you owe that creation respect otherwise you're disrespectful your writing is disrespectful and that automatically puts you at an f thanks for turning in your homework but you didn't follow the rubric and i feel like any writer of anything star trek post 2000 is one a bad writer to a bad director and three completely disingenuous and overpaid because I, I think there's over 400 episodes of various star trek content that the majority of star trek fans would can point to and tell you is good or bad and why it's good or bad and almost none of it has to do with people's opinions of back in the day versus opinions of today the difference is is that the writers of next generation respected the writers of the original star trek the writers of deep space nine respected both and so on until these newer series started showing up where they just started saying we don't care about the source material we don't care where it came from or why it existed we just want to do it our way and it's like then go come up with your own universe that's what i'm doing actively so if Same. you if you want control of your own universe right. grab right. it we are at the end of the line gentlemen thanks for your time thank you to all our viewers and listeners listen to the podcast later
Uh, my name's Petey York, host of the Rider Brother, reminding you, as always, don't be a dick.